Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Here at our church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's a fun season in our church. At the Movies is something where we journey through different films each week, and today is Knives Out Day. Who here has seen Knives Out? All right, so it is a hilarious whodunit. I am a diehard fan of murder mysteries. I just find them to be amazing. My absolute all-time favorite movie out there, in case you were wondering, it's listed out on the staff picks shelf. My all-time favorite movie is an old movie called Clue, based on the board game. I just love the notion of strangers in a house, and someone did it, and you're trying to figure out who. So I could not wait to preach this word with you today. But man, what a fun time it is uh, in, in this series. We've been hearing such great words, and such great truth. And the plot of this movie is pretty fascinating. The master investigator, Benoit Blanc, is looking into the mysterious death of a wealthy and late Henry, uh, Henry Thrombeau, and the family is assembled together, and it is a hilarious cast of characters all very suspicious in their own right, and they all turn on each other uh, because the family fortune is at stake. So it makes for quite a plot. And just like throughout the summer, we've been saying we're not necessarily recommending you see these movies for entertainment or theology, but we have selected them to point out truths in our life because movies are like the modern day parables. And Jesus would take things like you know, wheat and sun and bird and stone, and he would apply the truth of God's kingdom to them. And so we're taking the modern day parables and doing the same thing. And this movie is all about a family that turns on itself and things get a little crazy. And I just think it rings very true that family life can be crazy. Am I in the right place talking to the right people? Okay. Yeah, it can be tough. It can be tricky living family life. And when it comes to family, it's always easy to have your knives out. And for the context of this sermon, what we mean by knives out is always on attack mode, always with your guard up, always ready to start the fight. And today we're going to talk about how to navigate conflict. Not a single amen. Because it's like, oh man, now I got to do work. Can't we just talk about like a Bible story? No, we're, we're going to talk about the Bible becoming real in your home. Like it becoming real in your relationships. Resolving conflict between you and those closest to you. Both in your earthly family, your actual home, your actual house. And then in the family of God, here in the house of God. And I love last week how Pastor Cassie brought such a beautiful testimony and word about the fact that we've been adopted into the family of God. I, I was just weeping. We were out of town watching it, and I was just crying and crying about that, that beautiful word. Can we give it up for Pastor Cassie? I, didn't, I wasn't here to clap, so I'm clapping now. And so if she laid the groundwork that we are all lovingly accepted into the family of God, now Uncle Justin is here to address the mess that's going on in our family. Because if we're family, we're going to have to talk about some of this madness, and it's going to need to stop. Some of the dysfunction has to go. Because if we're trying to grow as people, we cannot grow past the dysfunctions we're unwilling to confront. I'm already going in. (laughs) You cannot grow past the dysfunctions you're unwilling to confront. And so the quickest way to growth is a life filled with healthy confrontation. 
confronting what's not right in you and around you. And that's what we're going to do today. And it's not just about me giving some insight. It's about the word of God speaking to us. So I hope that you're teachable today. I hope that your heart is open because you may just be able to receive something today that can course correct you away from dysfunction and toward growth. So I want to start with a simple passage, Psalm 133 verse 1 in the message. It says this, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. How wonderful, how beautiful. I'm just going to add a few just in translation. When brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, how wonderful when family gets along. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Use it to refine us today. We dare not sing a song that says, I want to be tried by fire, purified, and then just sit down in our pews and say amen and leave unchanged. If you're going to refine us today, it's going to happen through your word. And if you want to speak specifically about our family life, what happens in the walls of our home, what happens in the most private and intimate parts of our relationships, then perhaps you want to refine us in the most profound ways possible. You're not just trying to polish the outside of the cup. You're trying to wash the inside of the vessel. And if you're trying to wash the inside, it tells me that you're trying to pour something fresh in because you don't clean the inside unless you want to fill the inside. And so if you're refining us, it's for purpose. And I pray, God, that our families would be refined for a greater purpose, a greater outpouring. So clean the vessel so you can use the vessel because it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. As for each person here in their house, they will serve the Lord. As for City of Life and our house, we will serve the Lord. So refine us today. In your name, amen. I grew up in a biracial home. I am half Irish. I know. <laughs> you can tell. And you can really tell if you look at my leprechaun of a child with his red hair and blue eyes. It's a, it's a fascinating turn of events. Uh, but, you know, my last name's McNeil. It used to be just like a few generations up, McNeilius. Uh, but then they shortened it on a birth certificate. Literally one day a doctor got lazy and left off the end, and that's how my name exists. Um, but, but also I have a whole branch of my family that um, their name is McNeil. Still same family, just one type of one a birth certificate, forever changed generations. So we had a big family reunion, and it was the McMacNeil family reunion. Hilarious stuff. Can't, can't make it up. So I'm half Irish, half Dominican. And yeah, there we go. Dominican's in the house. So I grew up as an only child. But since I'm half Irish, half Dominican, that means I lacked not for cousins. I had 39 cousins all growing up. That's not an exaggeration. Literally 39 cousins. Most of them lived all around us. I don't know what it is about Dominicans, but when we move, we move together. We move as one. We live and move, and it's like this neighborhood, we went, we went all around together. And so I always had cousins all around me. So even though I didn't have the brother-sister experience, I very much had the family dynamic experience. In fact, on our wedding day, my wife and I tried to get a family picture. And if you You've been at City of Life long enough. You remember back in the day, we had this huge grand staircase up here, and we were like, okay, maybe we can fit everyone. We could not fit just my cousins. We couldn't fit them on the stairs, and so tell me you're Dominican without telling me you're Dominican. So that, that is a little bit of my life, and I, who here grew up in a large family? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Are you all family? Because all the hands went up at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Dominican too. There we go. <laughs> That's amazing. So families, let's get honest for a second. Each family has its own unique, weird dysfunctions, right? 
Like already, you know, I'm trying to be like light and casual, but I already felt the, the, the wall go up a bit. Because usually the number one rule in a family is we don't talk about our problems with anyone else. It stays in the house. But if we're all being honest, we all have issues in our family relationships. Those unspoken rules, you know, like, yo, not now, not when mom looks like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Shh, 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 shh. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> you know, like when mom has the face, everyone stay quiet. Or when mom and dad are talking like that, everyone go to your room. No one ever told you, you just knew, I need to go to my room. <laughs> you know, or what is permissible between you and your sibling? What names can be called? What fists can be thrown? You know, like what is allowed? Perhaps one of the biggest, most significant things that we draw from our family is our emotional processing. In your family of origin, were emotions something that were permitted to be displayed? Were you allowed to be sad? Were you allowed to be angry? Were you allowed to be hurt? Or did you need to process those things on your own as a child, which children can't do? Were you made to believe that your emotions were a problem you had to solve before you came back to the family table? Were emotions something that you were told were weaknesses? Was problem solving and conflict resolution, something that happened behind closed doors so you could see mom and dad fight, but you could never see them work through it. They would just come back smiling and you never knew what it meant to work through issues. Was it the silent treatment in your home where when there's an issue, we don't talk about it. You just keep smiling. Maybe you grew up in church and it's like, we'll fight in the car. Like we're going to kill each other. And then we get out and we're in the church service. We're like, God bless you. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Every family has dysfunction. And if you're not careful, that dysfunction will primarily inform the way you live life today. In fact, the greatest indicator of how you will unintentionally operate in the family you're trying to build is the family that you were raised in. (sighs) Even if you hated it, even if you're like, I never want to be like my dad. Number one thing that's probably going to happen, you're going to end up being just like your dad. Anyone know that's true? It's like you'll spend your whole life saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then all your focus was on that. And so you get what you're going for. You're looking at it, even though you're trying to avoid it. And instead of trying to change the outside, the healthier thing is to try to heal the inside, to allow God into that. But you cannot heal what you won't confront. You can't heal what you won't admit. And family is one of the touchiest subjects, and we picked me to talk about it. (laughs) We can talk about all kinds of things, but when we talk about family dysfunction, we have to get honest with ourselves and admit to ourselves that there is need for growth. But the promise here in Psalms, kind of the prophetic proclamation of God, it's this beautiful, almost idealistic verse that says, how wonderful, how beautiful it is when you can get along. I believe God is breathing that hope into our souls to show us That not only is it possible to get along, but it's better that way. It's better to work through our dysfunctions. It's better to be in right standing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And also the opposite is true. If we could take the inverse, the logical inverse of this verse, it would probably say how terrible and awful it is when you are in discord. How stressful it is when you can't get along. How exhausting it is when husband and wife are at odds. How draining it is when parent and child are are in difficulty with each other. And God is saying, you can keep going your way, but I have something wonderful and beautiful for you on the other side of honesty. Because we can't resolve conflict, we won't admit. 
You got to admit it, admit it, confront it. I always tell people better out than in. Like if it's in here weighing you down, don't just hold it, hold it, hold it. No, get that thing up and out and let's, let's talk about it. Let's work toward resolution because God has a way of life for you that is wonderful and beautiful. And so I want to talk about how we can get along. And I'm not talking figuratively. I don't want you to take this verse and say, I wonder what it means. It's talking about your family, like your home. Let's go right to your house. Let's go to your house right now. And you're like, no, please, I got to clean up. <laughs> so no one is ever allowed to come to my house on a Sunday. It's, it's not fair to even judge my house on a Sunday morning. If you're like, a, if you volunteer at church, you're in ministry, there's just like a shoe on a counter. Like there's just strange things on Sunday morning. Let me clean up first. <laughs> But let's go right to your family, right to your house. And let me share with you some stunning statistics when it comes to familial dysfunction. On average, parents and children, who here is a parent of a child? Yeah, there we go. Amazing. Most people in the room, get ready. <clears throat> parents and children, recent studies have shown, spend 50, 50 minutes a day arguing. And you're like, that's just the, the morning for us. <laughs> 50 minutes a day arguing. And if you subtract like school time, nap time, and sleep time, it is safe to say that perhaps most of the interactions your child has with you are argumentative. Or to put it another way, knives out. Hopefully it's not a real knife. <laughs> but, in, but it's like, I made you this peanut butter jelly. You're going to eat this peanut butter jelly. <laughs> I've been there. That's real for me. The number one topic of argument, believe it or not, food and drink. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I hit home. <laughs> the Dominican family once again. <laughs> this is an intervention for you guys. I'm here for you. If God did it in me, he can do it in you. The number one topic is food and drink. But just think about parents. Can we look in the mirror of God's word for a second? How wonderful and beautiful it is if we would just get along. Think of what it's like for your child. Mine's five and a half. Think of what it's like for your child to be on the receiving end of your 50 minutes a day of knives out argumentative approach. Because you're, no offense, you're the adult. What is it like for your kid to see you arguing 50 minutes a day? <laughs> What does it teach them about them? What does it, form, what does it inform about their self-understanding, self-worth? What does it teach them about how someone who says they love them, what does it teach them about how love speaks to them? Because as the number one lover of their life right now, you are modeling to them what they should go look for in a future mate. And so if you say, I love you more than anyone, but you speak to them in a degrading way, you are subconsciously instructing your child to go look for a mate who degrades them because mommy and daddy loves you better than anyone. And this is how I talk to you. So your child is going to go pursue someone who speaks to them the same way. We have to take responsibility. 50 minutes a day are spent in argument. Knives out. We've got to reevaluate the way we speak in our homes. Let's get, as if that wasn't uncomfortable, let's go a little more. Marriage. Married couples, raise your hands. Married couples. Woo! All right, remember, we love each other. In a recent study, 71% of couples reported feeling anxious within their relationship. 71% of couples felt like they couldn't even really relax, that they had to be on guard in their marital relationship. 62% report, report feeling stress, and 50% feel completely overwhelmed. And on average, the typical 
Married couple argues seven times a day. Me and my wife only talk like eight times. So if it's like seven, we're not, we're, that's not good. <laughs> seven times a day arguing. Think of what it must be like for your spouse to see you knives out seven times a day. We got to be honest about this stuff. And I, trust me, I looked deep into the research. There was no like second set of stats for Christians. <laughs> Oh, that one got us? <laughs> that it's no different. That, that you are fighting just as much as the next family. And so the goal here is not to try to polish ourselves and act like it's not happening. Maybe we should be the first ones talking about it. And I, I, to caveat this, the problem is not the conflict. Conflict happens in real life. In fact, healthy people argue because healthy people are honest. And when people are honest, they argue. <laughs> but... The real challenge is that if we are arguing seven times a day, married couples, we should be reconciling seven times a day. There should be conflict resolution happening just as much as there is conflict. And so many of us know how to go knives out, but then we never actually resolve. We never actually reconcile. And so your children are getting these 50-minute doses of argument, but then never being shown what it's like to mend that broken relationship. We have to address this. And it's resolution and conflict resolution that we need. Or are we just living knives out? Proverbs 15.1 gives a strong direction for this. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Your most damaging knife is your tongue. Your sharpest knife is your tongue. The knife that cuts the deepest, the words you choose to speak within the confines of your home. Your words matter. And I need you to come to concrete understanding of this. I am not speaking figuratively. The words you say to your spouse, the names you call your child, how you express anger, those are your sharpest knives. And Proverbs says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a sharp tongue makes things worse. If you are at your limit in your family, maybe instead of saying, what's their problem, maybe you should look inward and say, how am I contributing to the fire? How have I made it worse? What trigger words have I been using? Stupid, idiot, hate you, always, never. Those are sharp knives to say, you always do this. That immediately escalates the conflict because it's just not true. You're speaking out of anger. You're speaking out of frustration. Charles Bridges says this about argument and relationship. He says that pride and passion strike on both sides like two flints. We indulge in sarcasm as if we would rather lose a friend or family member than miss out on scoring a point in this argument. All this the world excuses, but the gospel sets before us our Savior's example and imbues us with his spirit so that we should be careful not to provoke a chafed or wounded spirit. Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win the relationship? Do you want to win this fight or do you want to win your marriage? Parents, do you want to prove a point or do you want to win the heart of your child? 
I've heard the Smiths teach on family my whole life, and they always had this one thing they talked about, about like apologizing to their kids and asking for forgiveness from their children. I was like, that's weird. I don't know what, how, how I'm going to do that until the day I first realized I need to get down on my knee and say, son, I am so sorry. I spoke to you so brash and so harshly. I apologize. I'm asking for forgiveness. Woo, that first day I was like, this is it. I'm so glad I had some info before I went into that moment. But am I trying to be the dad who's always right? Or am I trying to be the dad who my son knows is always there for him? Am I trying to be the husband who rules with an iron fist? Am I trying to be the man who lives with an open hand in my home? If you're not careful, your ego can sabotage your household. And here's the sad thing about ego. It creates such a blind spot. And you're out there, chest puffed out, attitude on display, knives out. And man, this has just been, this has been me, I'm sorry. And your family is tiptoeing around your ego. And more importantly, your children who are biologically, primally wired to please you are living a life trying to not trigger your issues. We cannot play these games anymore. Your spouse, your kids, they cannot tiptoe around an issue you're unwilling to address. Our ego has to be laid down, man. It ha- when you vowed to say yes to your spouse, when you vowed to, to that marriage, when God blessed you with that child, you were entrusted with a new responsibility, and it matters most at home. My wife and I say this all the time. If it's not real at home, it's not real anywhere. And we're playing too many games. You know, we come into church, it's like, good morning. God bless you. I love you. Good to see you. Love you, love you, love you. Everything's wonderful. And then we get in the, t- we get in the car and we're like, all oh, those people in there are so fake. Oh, I'm exhausted. My life is miserable. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of these kids. And we, we think that in our family, we can be the most real. And we take our mask off in our family and our spouse gets to see the real us. That's not the real you. That's the worst you. That's not the real you. That's your flesh. And that's the same thing the Bible calls us to die daily in. In fact, can I flip the script? Your spouse should get the best version of you, the most filter on your words, because they're the only person you vowed to love, honor, cherish, and respect until the end. You didn't, you didn't vow to cherish the cashier at the store, and yet you'll say, how are you today? It's so good to see you. All right, have a good one. Uh, bye-bye, uh, bye-bye. You're speaking more kindly to a stranger than to the person you vowed before God and people to respect. And we use the excuse that this is the real me. No, no, no. If your spouse is not getting the best of you, they're getting the rest of you, and that isn't fair to anyone. You have to make a choice about the words you speak. And I know it's exhausting. It's like, oh, I just got home from a hard day. I've given so much. I talked to so many people. I don't have anything left for my spouse. Then you need to quit your job. If you don't have anything left for your spouse, when you reach heaven, God's not going to ask, how hard did you work at your job? Because you got a paycheck for that. But your reward in heaven is based on what you do for what you don't get paid for. And if your job is the reason you can't love your wife, sir, change your job. Not speaking figuratively. As concrete as possible. If you are too tired to play with your kids, you're too tired change something because what happens in that house matters 
Your family is your greatest platform. Right now, your family is your greatest platform. And I know that we all just look at this and think, man, what a platform. And you're waiting for the moment that you get one of these in your hand and these in your face and one of those showing off your kneecaps to everyone <laughs> in high definition. <laughs> Should have rethought this. <laughs> And we think this is a platform, and we forsake the fact that your real platform, your most influential platform, is the one that only a few people see, your spouse and your kids. And if you, come on, let's go, you're getting convicted. And I was so challenged by this this summer, this was spoken, and I had to like really evaluate it, but if you really want to know the test of your leadership... If you really want to know, am I a man of God? Am I a woman of God? Until your spouse and children can call you a man of God, until your spouse and children can call you a woman of God, until your family calls you a leader, you might not be a leader. You're a great performer. You are a great behavior. You know how to turn it on, and that's great for a professional environment, but it means nothing when it comes to influence. Until your family can celebrate your leadership and your character, there's some room to grow because they get to see it up close. And that's why Proverbs 31 says of that amazing virtuous woman, her children call her blessed. Like there, this is possible. You can get it real at home. And if it's real at home, it's real everywhere. But what if we stopped all of our pursuits and just started focusing on being a real Christian at home and to our neighbor? Like, just love my neighbor, love my family. Think about how the world would change. If you just spent your day like, okay, with my spouse, my kids, and that family next door, what can I do to help them feel loved today? What can I do to serve them and bless them? And we're so busy trying to build the external that we don't build the intimate with people. Your words. There's a lot of things that I could talk about, but I'm speaking specifically about your words. If there's one thing that you take from today, I want it to be this practical truth that you can change the direction of the battle in your home by changing your words. In other words, put your hand right here. Say, my response is my responsibility. Someone is not making you cuss them out. The situation is not driving you to drink. Your kids are not making you crazy. You are choosing to be crazy over your kids. You're choosing to cuss out your spouse because of what you feel inside you. You have to reclaim responsibility because if you don't reclaim responsibility, you are never going to get on the path toward growth. And too often we give it up. Have you really placed responsibility for yourself in the hands of your seven-year-old? Does your seven-year-old subconsciously believe that they are the reason for your unhappiness? Because that's what happened to you. Say, you're making me so angry. Look what you made me do. You're teaching your child, you are responsible for my unhappiness. That does not serve anyone well. You need to reclaim that responsibility and say, hey, mommy made a poor choice. <laughs> I've had a tough day and I didn't use a word that I should have. I need to make that right. And instead of saying, I hate you to your spouse, saying, I'm really angry right now. And it's, it's really easy to feel like that's all because of you. But I want you to know I'm trying to work through it. We need to talk about this issue. We cannot avoid it. We cannot put it off because it, I'm very angry. But I refuse to turn against you. It's not me versus you. It's us versus this problem. And we have to work on it. Do you see how just changing the words, a gentle answer turns away wrath? speaking differently instead of attacking the person attack the issue 
Because if we can bring peace to our home, everything can change. The text in Psalm 133 goes forward and it says this, how wonderful, how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down the priest's beard, down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew on the mountain flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. The number one tactic the enemy will use to destroy the quality of life that God has ordained for us is division. If he can divide, he can conquer. And you're like, oh, I thought it was drugs. I thought it was porn. I thought it was addiction. I thought it was, it was violence. No, all of those things are fruit of division. If he can come in and separate people and divide people, division, division, two visions, two way of seeing things, my way and your way, instead of asking what is God's way in this marriage? It's not about me being right. It's not about you being right. It's about God being glorified. And we might both have to change some things, but if we're divided, we will never see the miraculous because unity is the atmosphere for miracles. When people can unite despite their differences, it's where the miracles happen. And our pastors have done such a beautiful job of leading us today. If you're a city of lifer for any period of time, I'm sure you have a measure of grief. If you've been here for a long time, you're probably reeling with grief with Sully and his family and the role that he's played. To be honest, I'm not even really like able to quite process it yet. I need a few more days. And if you need a few more days, it's okay. This is my first Sunday without the awareness of him here and even walking in, it's like, like different but one thing I did consider today is how many lives can be impacted by just one person just one person who's loving and if you knew Sully personally he's a pretty staunch person in his own personal convictions worldview the way he sees life and yet that isn't what he led with he didn't lead trying to say like view things my way he would just love just build bridges. Sometimes to a, in a messy way, it's like, Sully, you really gonna love that person? Cause like, I don't even know what to do with that person. They're complicated. Sully would just love. And that's not like a Sully superpower. That's the spirit of Christ at work in him and in us. And I think that as someone like that concludes their race, it informs the way that we have to live ours. And in grief, each person deals with grief in different ways and we dissociate, we numb the pain. It might not even feel real yet. And there's one facet of dissociation, dissociation called maladaptive daydreaming. And I've even caught myself doing it this week, which is fantasizing about better days, dreaming about when he was here, thinking about if he would just come one more time one more time like if I could have just seen him one more time like if it could have if we could just paint that picture again but the reason it's called maladaptive daydreaming is because it doesn't help you grow it looks backward instead of looking forward and I, I just it's like even hard for me to talk to this but I just believe that if you're grieving and it's complicated right now I don't want you to get caught up in isolation and I know the Sullivans need a lot of support but there's people hurting right now and if you go inward and just start to look backward bitterly you'll miss the opportunity to look forward the question is not what we could do if Sully was here once more or my loved one was here once more or my marriage that dissipated or whatever it is whatever the thing you lost is the question is not how can I daydream about what it would have been with it the question is what will I do 
now moving forward? How can I find the will of God moving forward? So take all that mental energy and remind yourself, I can't go back, but I can't go forward. And I need to create a vision of what's gonna happen. Instead of daydreaming maladaptively in reverse, start to visualize what can be ahead of us. I don't like the picture of a life without Sully or a church without Sully or maybe your family without that loved one, whatever your story is, but it's gonna have to move forward. You have to create that vision. Let God reveal it to you. Let him show it to you. And most importantly, lean into the family of God because where your earthly family fails you, as Pastor Cassie said last week, where your earthly father fails you, your heavenly father will always be present. And where your earthly family is not enough, God has welcomed us in to a heavenly family. And this right here, this messy, multicolored, three-part Dominican connection, (laughs) this is what we've got, friends. And this isn't very profound, but I'll just say this. If we hurt together, we heal together. So let's hurt and let's heal together. And if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, Jesus has made a way for you to walk right into this family. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. If that's you and you say, Pastor Justin, I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven. I don't know him like that, but I want to. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me in a moment. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. So if that's you, raise your hands. Yes, thank you. If you're watching online, click the raise hand button. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Man, so many hands are going up. Yeah, in the back, I see you guys, yes. Yeah. Can everyone in the room pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. In your name I pray. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with these who prayed this prayer? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.